Good afternoon and welcome. I'm Ken Weinstein, President and CEO of Hudson Institute. Hudson Institute is a public policy research organization dedicated to a very simple proposition that global security, prosperity, and freedom requires strong and engaged U.S. international leadership in partnership with our allies. Hudson was founded in 1961 by the late uh, futurist Herman Kahn, and we have done critical work on national security, homeland security, telecommunications, at, and policy at the intersection of uh, technology, innovation, and national security now for uh, some almost 54 years. Hudson is the home of the Blue Ribbon Commission on Biodefense that is co-chaired by former Senator Joseph Lieberman and former Governor Tom Ridge, which met here on Monday. And we're also proud to have a number of former officials uh, who've worked uh, in aspects of this area affiliated with Hudson, including former Congressman, former Chair of the Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers, who spoke yesterday on the uh, issue of China-Russia cybersecurity uh, questions, and uh, two former FCC commissioners, one of whom we'll hear from shortly. We're deeply honored today to have Congressman Mike Pompeo, highly distinguished American who has served our nation both in the U.S. Army as an officer and now in the House of Representatives. We're honored to hear from him today. He's a third-term congressman from the 4th District of Kansas. He graduated first from his class at West Point in 1986, and after serving on active duty, he graduated from Harvard Law School and served as an editor of the Law Review. He has had a very active life both in public service and in the private sector. He founded Thayer Aerospace, served as CEO for more than a decade, providing components for commercial and military aircraft, and then he became president of Century International, an oil field equipment uh, manufacturing distribution and service company. After his experience in the uh, private sector, he decided to uh, enter into public service, run for Congress, and we at Hudson and the nation are grateful. He serves on two major committees, Energy and Commerce and the House Intelligence Committee, which obviously oversees America's intelligence gathering efforts, including the activities of the National Security Agency. Earlier in 2014, he was also appointed the House Select Benghazi Committee to investigate the attacks in Benghazi. With us today, he's going to offer his views on the enduring relevance of the USA Patriot Act intelligence programs and on the constitutionality of these programs. As American intelligence analysts and operatives work to thwart the many deadly threats facing our nation, including those posed by al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other jihadists, Representative Pompeo will explain how unnecessarily restricting these intelligence programs would expose U.S. national security to unnecessary risks. After the congressman delivers his remarks, Hudson senior fellow, former FCC, Rob, Commissioner Rob McDowell, who is a... Uh, was a dynamic leader on the uh, Federal Communications Commission and someone who made national security issues part of his portfolio and someone we're very proud to have as part of the Hudson team. We'll further discuss uh, the appropriate role of the NSA and its metadata program, the continuing fallout from the uh, Snowden affair, and the significance of other U.S. intelligence agencies involved in counterterrorism efforts. Without any further ado, let me turn it over to Congressman Pompeo and to uh, thank him for his time today. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, and a special thanks to the Hudson Institute for giving me this opportunity to talk on 
uh, what is a very important and, and frankly very timely, uh, a timely topic. Uh, uh, in the next 19 days, uh, America will make an important decision. Our elected official, their, its elected officials will decide whether or not uh, it has learned its lessons or perhaps unlearned its lessons uh, from September 11, 2001. Uh, we will decide uh, as we consider whether to renew the Patriot Act, and if so, how to renew the Patriot Act, uh, whether the demands placed upon our nation in the aftermath of those terrorist attacks uh, remain in effect and if those obligations are still necessary. Uh, I'll start. So I was in the Army. You talked about that. I was in the Army two and a half decades ago. Uh, we had a, a phrase in my platoon that was used throughout the Army. It was called bluff, right? bottom line up front. So you always give that. So uh, everybody in attendance or anybody in your platoon could understand, hey, this is what matters. This is the sequence. This is what's most important. Uh, I, I believe that reauthorizing uh, the Patriot Act, including Section 215, which I'll talk about in some detail today, uh, is a duty. And that duty flows from the oath that I gave when I was reelected uh, to defend uh, the United States Constitution uh, and the obligation that comes with that to keep Kansans and Americans safe. Uh, the legal authorities that are provided by it uh, and the privacy protections that come with them uh, both provide uh, the requisite constraints on government and the requisite powers so that our intelligence community can perform its functions properly. Uh, you know, there's three provisions, primary provisions that expire on, on May 31st. Each is valuable in its own right. But more important than these three provisions, uh, and I'll talk about this today, uh, is that they perform a part of the puzzle, <laughs> right? a part of the solution. Uh, looking at them alone, you can stare at any one of them and say, ah, without that particular provision, the world would go on. We wouldn't sacrifice too much. But they form together a holistic set of authorities and a set of rules that allow our intelligence community and our law enforcement uh, personnel, local and state, uh, federal, Department of Defense and civilian, to perform their functions to keep us all safe. Uh, I, I have to start with this notion, too. Uh, I know this, some of what's in the Patriot Act is controversial. It's controversial within my party. It's in, with conservatives in the Republican Party. But I'll put my privacy bona fides up against anyone. Uh, I do not think for one moment that a reauthorization of the Patriot Act in any way requires me to sacrifice any idea that I have about what American federal government ought to do and ought not to be able to do with respect to privacy. And I'll, I'll talk about that. I, I, I hear sometimes from, from the left and the libertarian right uh, <laughs> that these provisions uh, somehow cast doubt on America's commitment to protecting the privacy of its citizens, and I actually think that the Patriot Act uh, is a tool that ensures that the federal government will not have to violate citizens' privacy rights. And I'll, I'll speak to that some today. I think, I think sometimes uh, the, the folks who are cr critics of what's taking place in the Patriot Act have this faux conception of freedom, uh, and it, it must, I have to tell you, delight our enemies when they see that. Uh, and so we have this obligation to, to renew these three provisions. We'll tweak them if we have to, to get them across the finish line. Um, but we must do so in a way that ensures that every resource is available for our warfighters and our intelligence community when they are needed today to defeat Islamic terrorism wherever it raises its ugly head. You know, it's a primary responsibility 
you all know this, of the federal government. I, I always talk about the things the federal government does that no place else can do. Wichita has a very small navy. That's a joke. Uh, right? The only folks that can provide this, we, we do lots of things at the federal government. We provide money for education. We provide money for health and human services and for social welfare programs, each of which could be done and, in fact, is done by lots of levels of government. This function, this security function that we're speaking about today is uniquely suited to and required by our Constitution. And so when you think about the Patriot Act in context, you have to understand that if that absent that, there's no other uh, institution that has the capacity to fill the gap that the expiration of the Patriot Act would leave. Now, I know a lot of you have met and worked with folks that work for uh, organizations tasked with the execution of provisions of the Patriot Act. It's not just the NSA. It's the FBI. It's the Department of Homeland Security. It's the Department of Defense. It's the Justice Department. Um, lots and lots of uh, great folks. It, it's important that everyone understands who these people are, the people that we've tasked. I think you can't consider the Patriot Act absent understanding who these human beings are that we have given this important responsibility to. You know, there's, there's this joke that runs around NSA. I didn't know very many folks from the NSA four years ago before I came to Congress that says, you know, how do you, how do you identify the, outgo- the, the person who's uh, at the NSA who is uh, uh, an outgoing, fun person? It's, you know, it's at the party, it's the NSA officer who's looking at someone else's shoes instead of their own, right? These are warriors, many of whom are uniformed warriors performing these sets of functions. You can say the same uh, for the folks at the FBI, who are engaged in this important task. These are people who have sacrificed a great deal and who work diligently every day, often for compensation that is far beneath what they might make elsewhere to ensure that America is safe. And so we, we need to understand that it is not just any set of people that, to whom these authorities have been given. Um, they're good people. They're people that are attempting to get this right and to keep America safe every day. I could say the same thing about the folks at DHS, uh, the folks at the Department of Defense, uh, these men and women need Congress and the President to provide them to tool, the tools that they need to do their job. And the Federal Intelligence Surveillance Act and each of the components that we will get renewed here in the next 19 days are an important part of the whole of government's effort. Uh, and I'll spend most of my time talking about Section 215 today of the Patriot Act. It is the most controversial of the three provisions, but there's two others that are very important and worth mentioning, and that indeed the, the provisions as drafted today that I will vote on this afternoon in the House uh, are important as well. Section 206 provides for roving wiretaps on a number of different devices. Uh, and then there's a provision for how we handle folks who roam back into the United States in each case, ensuring that there was a known terrorist outside of the United States, a non-U.S. person, that we have the capacity to identify communications they have with Americans. Uh, you know, Kansans, it's, uh, Kansans are getting this more and more. We've had two very significant terrorist plots thwarted in just the last 14 months in Kansas. In December of 2013, a man named Terry Lee Lowen attempted to blow up Wichita Midcontinent Airport, a facility through which I fly uh, at least twice every week. He was attempting to park a truck bomb between gates 6 and 7 at 7 o'clock in the morning, a flight that I often take from Wichita, Kansas to Chicago that gets me uh, to Washington. But our law enforcement had the capacity, the tools they needed to take down Mr. Lowe, and he stands, he awaits trial today. Uh, just last month, in April, uh, a man connected with ISIS, 
attempted to kill soldiers at Fort Riley, Kansas, in the town called Manhattan that sits just outside the front gates of Fort Riley. This is not the time for America to remove the capacity for our law enforcement officials to identify those who are working with terrorists outside of our country attempting to do harm inside of the United States. It will take every bit of that whole-of-government effort. And now to Section 215, the provision that has caused uh, many of my colleagues such angst and heartburn. I have to tell you, it has. there's been lots of debate about its uh, effectiveness. I'll talk about that. Uh, there was a court opinion now last week that I'll spend some time talking about. But it's important to understand that Section 215 part does provide part of that puzzle. It provides a key connector between data that the U.S. government knows about a foreign terrorist threat and their potential connections inside of the United States. <clears throat> we know, we, we've all seen what Mr. Snowden said this program did. Uh, but it's important to understand what is really going on, what's really taking place, how it is that government is affecting the provisions inside of Section 215. Right, so what it's doing is it's collecting so-called metadata, uh, a set of uh, information about phone calls that are made uh, inside of the United States, often to folks outside the United States. It collects this data. Uh, it then, under Article Three court supervision, has a process by which it can go have access to that data to attempt to identify when our intelligence community understands that there is a threat to identify if there are connections inside the United States that continue to pose a threat here in the United States. It doesn't collect content. It doesn't collect uh, voice and data uh, that would tell you what the substance of the conversation or the email was. It's simply the time and the date and the duration and the numbers that were connected. Uh, I, it, it pales in comparison to your average grocery rewards program in terms of data collected. Uh, and that's fine. It's the federal government. It ought to pale in comparison to that because uh, it provides the data that our law enforcement needs and no more than that. You know, in the years, we don't have to speculate when uh, folks started talking about the leaks of Mr. Stone. People said, gosh, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's taking place because most of this program at the time uh, was, in fact, classified. Uh, but we now have a pretty good understanding of what's really taking place and what's not taking place. And we can see that there was, precisely as the founders intended, enormous oversight of this program inside of government. You had the House and the Senate Intelligence Committee, Article 2, excuse me, Article 1 organizations tasked with quarterly oversight of how many times the NSA went into that data set to try and identify folks. You can count the number of people on two hands, and the number of times that they actually access the data in any given year amounts to a couple of hundred. Very little use of this data, and only used in a way that was appropriate. There are less than a dozen cases where the NSA deemed the activities that had been taken with respect to that program inappropriate. Uh, they were identified by various persons, Article Three courts, some of the folks in Article One, and sometimes, most often, by the NSA itself. And they took the appropriate measures to correct that behavior immediately. I want to talk about the four primary criticisms, and then I'm, I'm happy to take a series of questions. Uh, it can only begin now with the Second Circuit decision from last week. There was a court decision handed down by three uh, judges appointed by President Obama 
in the Second Circuit who ruled that the metadata collection program was inconsistent with the language of Section 215. They did not rule it unconstitutional. They didn't reach the point. They didn't question whether or not the government had the authority, whether a president under Article II powers had the authority or whether uh, Congress could authorize this behavior. They simply said that they didn't believe that the language on the page reflected the actions that were being taken. I think they're wrong. Uh, I think they fundamentally misunderstood how uh, Congress drafted the bill, and I think they misunderstood that this bill has been reauthorized on multiple occasions since its original creation when members of Congress knew full well how the government had begun to implement it. I think the Second Circuit knew that it was on weak ground. They didn't stop the program. They were deeply cognizant of the fact that in the next uh, then 25 days or so that Congress would be revisiting this, and they invited us to do that. And I hope in the next week and a half we'll do just that. And we will make clear uh, that the Patriot Act does, in fact, authorize the United States government to engage in the intelligence collection activities in just the same way um, that it has been doing. You know, the critiques of Section 215 always start with violations of the Fourth Amendment. They'll assert that someone's privacy rights uh, under the Fourth Amendment have been violated. You have activists that range from the ACLU and digital privacy activists all the way uh, to senators like uh, Senator Rand Paul who think uh, that Section 215 violates uh, fundamental privacy rights uh, of Americans. Uh, they'll, use, they'll use pretty outrageous language. Uh, they'll, they'll talk about how it's decimating privacy rights and uh, an assault on American freedoms. Uh, but, you know, all of this data has been freely turned over by each of us each time we make a phone call. Uh, we, turn, we turn it over, and we turn over business records each and every day. And your local government, sheriff's offices, have the ability, without Article Three court review, to go access that data. If they want to know who stayed at the hotel most in most counties, the district attorney can file a subpoena and go, um, go immediately get access to that information. We've provided in Section 215 even more protections for privacy than you see in most ordinary law enforcement tools. Uh, you know, I share Senator Paul's concerns about privacy, uh, but I think having an orderly, constrained government program like the Section 215 program actually prevents governmental abuse. You'll recall that many of the actions that are taking place under Section 215 were being engaged in long before the Patriot Act was ever enacted into law. Presidents, under their powers under Article II, believed that they had not only the authority but the duty to collect intelligence in a way to keep America safe. The Patriot Act, in fact, provides process and oversight that I think are incredibly important not only to making the program effective, but to ensuring its continued constitutionality. Uh, I've heard folks say that the Patriot Act provides uh, unlimited access, but that, of course, isn't true. The access is enormously limited by the statutory language itself, and in practice, that statutory language has been adhered to. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know a anyone who who says, as, as has been said, somebody said, if you own a cell phone, you're under surveillance. I don't know anyone who, when the metadata is explain, program is explained to them, thinks um, that this has placed them under surveillance. The, the concept of surveillance is so different uh, from a data set that is accessed under a court, Article Three court approval uh, that I, 
I, I often wonder if we don't have political leaders and activists out using language either uh, designed to, uh, to destroy a program they know will keep America safe or for other political purposes. I, I think that's, that's deeply troubling. Uh, you know, the last thing to say about this is the behavior of your leaders, members of Congress. How there were members of Congress following the Snowden leaks who said they didn't know about these programs, that they were unaware of what it was they were authorizing when they voted for this bill. It would have predated the original creation of the Patriot Act was created before I entered Congress. Uh, for that, I say, do your job. Every member of Congress has had the capacity to ask questions, to find out what's going on, to find out what the government is doing and what it is not doing. When I hear leaders say that they didn't understand, I just urge them to work harder, to go develop their own knowledge base, to go learn, to equate inquiries. When they've done that, and if they still disagree with the program, then they're arguing from a position of knowledge and not one of ignorance. And it has been enormously frustrating to me to have uh, members of Congress return to their home districts and tell their constituents that the United States government is listening to phone calls and reading emails under the Section 215 program. It's simply not true. Uh, you know, the, 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 the second critique has been that it doesn't work. That all this data collection, all this cost, all this expense, all this burden, all this hassle, all this potential violation of American privacy rights amounts to nothing. And they'll often say, well, tell me how many plots have been thwarted. And you saw uh, over the last uh, year plus General Alexander attempt to speak to this in an unclassified setting to talk about what had actually been achieved. Uh, and I won't go into the details. They can be debated. Um, I, can, I can speak to this much in this setting. Uh, I can assure you that there have been efforts by radical Islamists that have been thwarted as a direct result of information that was obtained under the provisions of the USA Patriot Act. But more than that, more than how many cases you can say, absent the Patriot Act, we can prove a cause and effect, uh, you have to consider what it means to collect intelligence, what intelligence organizations actually do, right? The, it, it isn't the case that you can always draw a, a causal relationship between a particular statutory authority and a conclusion of a particular case. It's all part of putting together the mosaic of developing a database and a set of information that helps you reach conclusions about probabilities and places to go look and where to place resources in order to identify who it is that's actually both has the intentions and the capabilities of killing Americans. And I can assure you, the USA Patriot Act performs an incredibly important foundational function in helping our intelligence community develop the baseline for that, in, that intelligence data set that allows them to focus resources in places which will help them uh, deny our enemy sanctuary. It has been incredibly effective. The... Um, the third critique is that uh, there's really no Article Three oversight. So I think that's important. I think having judicial oversight of this program makes good sense. Uh, but there's this notion somehow that the FISA courts have become rubber stamps for the program. And so there's really uh, renegade agents inside the NSA with the freedom to walk into a FISA court, get a document approved, and then go on with their lives to violate your privacy. Uh, that's just simply not the case. Uh, I have... I have been able to observe precisely the dialogue uh, between these courts and between the executive <laughs> branch and watched the pressure uh, 
that the executive branch feels to make sure that they are not only complying with the law, that they are presenting credible, defensible information to those courts, such that the FISA court judge has all the information needed to make sure that his or her decision is the right one under the law as well. It's a complex process. Your Justice Department provides enormous resources to make sure that the process is executed well. And I can assure you, the judges that sit on that FISA court view themselves as deeply independent and behave in that manner. You know, the last, the last thing, and this is an issue that we, we do have to deal with, is there are American businesses very concerned about the USA Patriot Act as well. Businesses that have global footprints that think, uh, in the light of the Snowden leaks, that uh, somehow the Patriot Act has harmed their capacity to do business around the world. I'd say two things about that. I've, I've had the ability now twice to go to Europe and talk with European leaders and some European businesses about this too. Uh, the, the first thing worth saying is that our American businesses have done great work in helping our national security folks perform their tasks. They've received court direction, they've received uh, subpoenas, uh, and they have been good about attempting to comply with that, and I applaud them for having done so. Uh, the next task that they have is to go help us, uh, help them, communicate to the rest of the world that the actions that the United States government taking taking are much less intrusive than the actions being taken by intelligence collection agencies from other parts of the world. We have a very unique system here. Americans underappreciate the fact that there is no equivalent of an intelligence committee in most parts of the world. There is no equivalent of court supervision of intelligence activities in other parts of the world. You have a unitary leader, sometimes a dictator, sometimes an elected official, who runs these international intelligence operations with little or no oversight. And I can assure you, they're extending the reach of their intelligence collection as far as their national capabilities will permit them. Now, I get some places in Europe will use this as a protectionist tool, right? Call out the Americans and try and uh, deny the Americans to, uh, to win in the consumer marketplace. Uh, our government has a role there, too. We have to make clear... Uh, that the actions that we're taking are appropriate and reasonable and be as upfront about that as we possibly can in order to admit American, allow American businesses to make their commercial case uh, as they see fit. You know, I'll, I'll close here. Uh, I, I'm confident that we will figure out a way to get the Patriot Act renewed, although the Senate is having a, a heck of a time figuring out a path forward. But I'm confident that Americans will demand that we do that that we stay here and we figure it out. Uh, had a friend ask me the other day, so Mike, so what? So what if the Patriot Act expires? And uh, what I, <laughs> I ended up by saying, you know, frankly, the truth is, most days it wouldn't matter. Most days we'd go on living our lives. Folks would go to church. The kids would go to school. We'd all go to work. Most days it might just not matter. But there's another set of days that aren't most days. There, I, I call them the days we all remember where we were. 9-11 for the entire nation, right? The running of the Boston Marathon for the people of Massachusetts. We could all list those days where we remember precisely where we were at a given moment. And it's those days. It's those, those days that the Patriot Act is designed for and that Americans, America's national intelligence apparatus is designed for. It's not designed for most days. And so I am committed to working hard to make sure we get the Patriot Act renewed so that we have 
a lot more most days and a whole lot fewer days where we all remember where we were. I thank you for the opportunity to be here with the Hudson Institute. I, I look forward to our discussion today. Well, we'll let him uh, get wired up here. And uh, while he's uh, getting the microphone ready, first of all, it's a great honor and privilege for us to have you here today, Congressman. Uh, and uh, your resume is uh, incredibly impressive. Of course, uh, first in your class at uh, West Point. Um, and then uh, it says uh, on your official bio that you were uh, you served as a cavalry officer patrolling the Iron Curtain before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Now, was this armored cav, or was this you were riding a horse? Back no and horses forth in front of the wall. No horses. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. No, all uh, M M1 tanks and Bradley fighting. Good. Vehicles. Okay. Good to right. know. All right. It's just it sounded uh, <laughs> like from a different century there, but. Uh, then it says, um, after Harvard Law School, uh, returned to his mother's family roots in South Central Kansas, and he'd think the next uh, sentence would be to either set up a small storefront practice or go grow wheat. But no, he went on to found um, and become CEO of uh, Thayer Aerospace uh, <laughs> there in Kansas, um, and then uh, went on to serve as president of Century International. Uh, so it's, it's incredibly impressive. So now that you're all wired up, um, Lots to talk about. We don't have a ton of time. Uh, we have a hard stop of just before 1 o'clock, um, and so we have a lot of uh, topics to cover. I do want to thank the Second Circuit uh, for uh, <laughs> knowing that we were going to have this event here today and, and coming down with a ruling last week to make this incredibly timely um, and a terrific uh, news event uh, for you as well as the Hudson Institute. Um, and uh, some folks might be asking, why have a former FCC commissioner uh, interview Congressman Pompeo? Well, Actually, NSA, folks don't know, NSA grew out of the FCC decades and decades ago, long before I was even born. Um, but the FCC does have a Public Safety and Homeland Security Bureau, as uh, Ken Weinstein alluded to, uh, and it works on matters involving, well, public safety and homeland security. Uh, so uh, it is all relevant. But uh, so let's, if we could start with the, the Second Circuit uh, ruling last week, that's uh, what's sort of freshest, and that did focus on. Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which you did a terrific job of um, discussing. Um, you mentioned that um, the court said uh, to 215 or how, uh, uh, how the NSA was carrying out 215 was not carrying out the intent of Congress. And would you like to drill down on that a little bit more and give us some more detail regarding your thoughts on how that was uh, within the intent of Congress? So the, uh, the, court, the court ended up in a long discussion of the word relevance about what data is, what, what information is relevant, and relevant is the word used in, in Section 215. Uh, I, just, I just think they, I, I think they have a fundamental misconception of the way the metadata program is actually developed and is executed, uh, that uh, the, the investigations that take place under Section 215 are all done uh, subsequent to the time of the data collection itself, right? Uh, all, all they're doing, all the metadata program does is it tries to put a freeze on. It says, hey, we're going to take this data and we're going to put it aside and we, we're not going to look at it. And in fact, they are not looking at it uh, until such time as we know that we have a foreign terrorist threat. And that's the, I think that's the gap in the Second Circuit's judgment. I think there's a, a there was a fundamental misunderstanding of, of how the program was actually being executed. And I am, I am convinced, although one can never prove it, if you went back to the date uh, that, w that the members of Congress were all standing on the floor, and you said, would this be an appropriate set of actions? Uh, I think Jim Sensenbrenner says I'm wrong, and he was there. Um, but I think most of the members that were there that day recognized that we were now in a different place. 
This was after 3,000 Americans had been killed on a particular day. And had you asked them that day if this kind of activity was appropriate under the statutory authority they were providing, they would have not only said it's appropriate, they would have encouraged that that be done. And, and to drill down, too, a little bit further on something you, you mentioned, uh, you talked about surveillance and what surveillance is versus what NSA was doing. Do you want to help people understand sort of the difference? I think in the vernacular and in the mainstream press, or all the press, really, they're talking about surveillance and people have images of wiretaps and their cell phone conversations are being listened to, uh, to by NSA and all the rest, and that's not the case, right? Oh, well, goodness, this uh, program is far. When you think of surveillance, you think of the guy in the street in the car with the black hat in the movies. Uh, tracking you around the country, or you think of someone sitting in a van listening to a phone conversation with a headset. Uh, we've, we've, we've all seen the movies. Well, neither of those, uh, nor anything like that, is part of the Patriot Act. Uh, the USA Patriot Act was aimed at uh, making sure that things like 9-11, where information didn't get from one place to another, had the capacity to go uh, to be melded into an intelligence framework. And one of the pieces of information that was missing that day was who were these folks talking to? And so the metadata program was simply designed to make sure that that information was readily accessible to law enforcement, that so they could, uh, without having to go track through what was then dozens and dozens today, it's fewer than that, but uh, lots of data that was held by private folks to go quickly identify who the bad guys were talking to. Uh, and it's nothing more than that. That's the way the data is, is used today. Uh, there's no surveillance in any normal conception of that word taking place under the USA Patriot Act Section 215. And uh, so the court chose not to grant the uh, ACLU's uh, preliminary injunction to enjoin uh, the government from uh, acting under Section 215, uh, pending the reauthorization from Congress. What, what effect do you think that ruling um, on the injunction aspect of mm -hmm. it will have on the current uh, debate in Congress? Yeah, almost none. <laughs> uh, look, it's a statutory interpretation. We, we get to write what we write. Uh, there are, I hear from some of my colleagues that are opposed to the Patriot Act that they think this bolsters their argument. Um, but they were going to vote against it anyway. <laughs> All right? this, didn't, this didn't change any minds that, that I'm aware of. Nobody said, gosh, I think this is a great program, and all of a sudden three judges in New York say it ain't so. And uh, I, have, I haven't seen this have any significant impact on uh, the discussions that members in the House of Representatives are having. Uh, if it's the case that someone thinks that the language is drafted and he doesn't permit this, uh, I'm happy to draft in a way that creates clarification uh, so that everyone can acknowledge these are the programs we're doing and this is how we're doing it. That was literally a, a case of statutory interpretation where I think if you read the court, they're really like, we're a little late to the dance. This is going to, right, this expires in a few weeks. Uh, but we do want to put our imprimatur, our, our judgment about it statutory. And, and that's fine. I appreciate their role. Uh, I hope in the next uh, 11 days we eviscerate its importance entirely and we render the case moot. So you mentioned also Section 206, the roving wiretap mm -hmm. provision, and uh, I think it's important for folks to understand that you know back in the day uh, when the phone was uh, hardwired into your wall, and much of our audience cannot remember uh, those days, um, you got a wiretap warrant from a court to tap the number, and this would, these would be taps for actually listening on conversations and not metadata of who, necessarily who you were calling. Uh, that can be obtained from the, the phone company, just that right. kind of data, and that's what you're, we're talking Precisely about here. Right. But, um, but now, in the era of mobility and uh, with the growing uh, Internet of Things and everything, uh, there are going to be things and people that move about and use lots of different devices. So it's more about 
monitoring the person who might be under suspicion? Um, and is that, do you think Section 206 is sort of safer in terms of reauthorization? I, I do. Uh, there's not a lot of controversy. We all recognize that uh, we now use multiple devices. We'll take uh, a call from the same number on a different uh, configuration of plastic, and uh, it, it is the case that if uh, there's a valid uh, need for that information that we, not, uh, we ought not to be prevented by them changing out their handset uh, in terms of our capacity to actually get at that information. So moving on to a slightly different topic, which you touched on, which was uh, Edward Snowden. And uh, there's, there's a lot there of, of what actually happened, what he did, what laws may have been broken, and also a popular perception of him uh, and media uh, accounts and portrayals mm -hmm. of what he did. Is he a hero or is he a villain? Um, and uh, you know, some, some media accounts uh, uh, say that members of Congress, as you pointed out, didn't know about the metadata program, um, and uh, some treat him as a hero and, a, and as a villain. Do you want to uh, elaborate further on your remarks there? You know, I, I guess the important thing to know about uh, the information that Mr. Snowden leaks, the thing that probably is least understood, is that the vast majority of what Mr. Snowden leaked had nothing to do with American citizens, had nothing to do with uh, privacy interest in the United States. Indeed, it was a deeply political decision to release, by The Guardian, to release only that one one-hundredth of a percentage of the material that Snowden stole and then transitioned to others' hands. Uh, the vast majority of what Mr. Snowden leaked uh, unlawfully uh, were plain old military secrets, Department of Defense secrets. If any of you have members of the military in your family or friends, they are less safe today as a direct result of the actions of Edward Snowden. That has no impact on privacy interests. These are ordinary military secrets, things like our technology, things like how our units travel around, <coughs> operational secrets, things that our military today is having to spend tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to work around now that we know that it's very likely that the Russians and the Chinese have access to this information. And so whatever one thinks about the thin slice of information that Mr. Snowden leaked and made prominent uh, about uh, the Patriot Act and the metadata program, the vast majority of what this man did was uh, simply traitorous, placed uh, American military warriors at risk, and in fact, placed our homeland at greater risk as well. And you don't need to answer the following question. I'll let it hang out there as a rhetorical comment. But do you think it's any coincidence that he first went to China and now resides in Russia? But you don't need to answer. Um, so uh, what are the consequences of the programs if the Patriot Act uh, does expire. It's going to be very hard for Congress to do anything in 19 days, uh, let alone pass this. So it may very well indeed expire, and what's going to happen? You know, uh, it, it is only 19 days, but I've seen us work miracles in 19 hours uh, when, uh, when it matters, and, and this matters. Uh, this matters deeply. So I'm, I'm hopeful we can uh, find a resolution that we can get the vast majority of members to believe uh, protects American interest and American national security. Look, it's expiration in the short run. Uh, I'm sure the, the uh, agencies will do their best to find alternative solutions, uh, but these won't be sustainable. Uh, there's been a lot of hard thinking in how we might modify the program in ways that provide assurance to members of Congress that have uh, concerns about this. And in fact, the, the bill that we'll vote on today does that. The bill that we'll vote on today takes in the House takes the data set and moves it outside of the hands of the United States government. It will leave that data in the hands of the private providers. Uh, that, look, that means it'll take longer to get the information. 
it will slow down our intelligence community's capacity to identify who it is terrorists are speaking to. Uh, maybe that won't matter most days. Uh, but I can assure you, every one of you wants to know who the people in Garland, Texas, were talking to. You, you, you want to know. You want to know fast. You don't want to know tomorrow if there's a second plot planned for one hour later than the one that they were planning in Texas. And we'll have that reduced as a result of the bill we're passing. If the bill is allowed to expire, it'll even be more difficult. There's, there's, you, you'll hear folks say, ah, you know, uh, if it goes away... Tomorrow the sun will rise. That's probably right. Uh, but America's national security will be diminished. And we still live in a post-9-11 environment. Indeed, I would argue that the threat to the homeland today is far greater than it was in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Right? Director Comey said last week, quote, hundreds if not thousands of ISIS recruits inside of the United States. Uh, this is a continued very real threat. And allowing the Patriot Act to expire would diminish one tool in the arsenal of our intelligence community to keep us safe, and one that I think is, uh, in, is constitutional and ought not be permitted to go away. So under the Patriot Act, it, it provides for oversight by all three branches of the federal government. Um, if it expires, uh, you mentioned before that some of these activities were ongoing anyway, but without that oversight. So what happens with that oversight component if it expires? What do we uh, yeah. go back to? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, we don't have to guess. <laughs> we, we know precisely uh, what happens before the Patriot Act. Recall, the Patriot Act was, was at least in part created to provide Congress with the capacity to perform oversight functions of executive branch intelligence collection activities. I kid some of my friends uh, on the right who think this program ought to go away uh, because we just want it to vanish. I assure you, there are presidents, whether this one will or not, I don't know, but there's presidents who think that they would have the authority to provide this exact same data set, uh, conduct these exact same activities under their inherent powers in Article II. And if the Patriot Act is expired, all that leaves is an Article II president collecting this data with no oversight from Article I. I think that creates more risk, more risk of abuse, uh, less ability to check the program, uh, and would therefore be an enormous mistake. It does not naturally necessarily follow that the expiration of the Patriot Act prevents intelligence collection activities. And so my judgment is this framework was set up in a very thoughtful way, in a way that does permit the FISA courts and uh, the intelligence committees to have oversight over these functions. And so I'd urge my colleagues to, uh, to be very careful <laughs> if they think uh, they'll get they'll get fewer violations of privacy by denying us the capacity to perform those oversight functions. So uh, Section 215 and other provisions of the uh, Act are, are frequently viewed in isolation, and especially here in the, since the Second Circuit's ruling. That's what everyone's talking about. Um, but they do fit into a larger sort of uh, whole-of-government approach uh, to national security and data gathering. Can you kind of explain that to our audience, uh, what that means, the whole-of-government approach? Uh, so, so you have many, many agencies that perform provide the mosaic of intelligence collection. You have uh, defense assets that are providing that. Uh, DHS has a role here in the homeland. The FBI has an important role, each in so many different ways. We often forget the Department of Treasury's important intelligence component, right? 
collecting data about how banking transactions take place, watching terrorists move money around the world. Uh, and so the Patriot Act performs just one of those functions. Uh, the Justice Department has national security letters that they too are performing a national security function, attempting to create this uh, whole picture of what uh, folks who are trying to harm America are actually out there doing. And so um, it's easy to, to rain, train one's focus on this narrow slice of the Patriot Act, uh, but you have to remember it provides one, uh, one more tool, and it's an important tool and one that um, if we get rid of it, so they'll turn their focus, someone might turn their focus on another and ultimately greatly diminish our capacity uh, to know what it is these bad folks are doing all around the world. So should the, the act be authorized essentially as is with a fix for the Second Circuit opinion? Or? Uh, yeah, I'd much prefer that we keep the program uh, as it is. There's a few small changes that I think improve uh, our oversight, uh, but I think some of the changes that are in the bill that the House is going to pass today are detrimental and unnecessary to make it lawful. Uh, I, it may be that it's that or nothing, and in my judgment that is better than nothing, uh, but um, I do think we will create incremental amount of risk. So uh, speaking of which, I know we have to get you out of here in just a few minutes uh, because of those votes, um, but uh, to put a finer point on you know, our discussion earlier and your remarks, uh, in that many Americans, uh, perhaps millions, think the NSA is spying on them or has the potential to spy on them. Uh, and what can you say, what assurances can you yeah. give them that that's not the case? Uh, two, two things to say about that. Uh, I, 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 can, I can speak to the program as I know it and as I see it and as I observe it. I've, I've, I've had the privilege to serve on the House Intelligence Committee that, that has, along with the Senate Intelligence Committee, responsibility for performing this oversight function. Um, I can say unequivocally that the men and women at the NSA uh, are keenly uninterested in your conversations on your phones. Uh, they have neither the resources nor, nor the inclination uh, to listen to them. Uh, and so uh, know that these are, are good men and women trying to do their function right. I also recognize that in government you get bad actors. You get them everywhere. And this oversight function we perform uh, provides the opportunity to make sure those things aren't happening, to catch them when they do, and, and that has occurred as well. Uh, I'd, I'd also say one of the things I, I regret the most is that we've not had a president who's been prepared to defend this program. Uh, it takes a leader, it takes a national leader. It's difficult for one member of Congress, uh, one out of 435 in the House of Representatives, to make the case about a program that is an executive branch program. And unfortunately, the president has, uh, has not uh, gone to the American people and consistently and repeatedly made the case for why this program is important. And I know he knows that it is, because I'm thankful that President Obama has continued this program. He's continued this program much as it was being operated in the previous administration. So he understands, and the intelligence community that he oversees understands its importance. I wish he would spend more time communicating with the American people about why it's important, why it's lawful, why it's constitutional, and why it is it ought to be reauthorized. Uh, only, only someone with a bully pulpit like the White House can communicate this in a way uh, that, that the American people can understand and take to heart uh, why this program matters and how effective it has been. So what do you think are the greatest uh, threats to our privacy uh, today and maybe going forward? The, the, uh, you know, the, conce the, the conception of American privacy will have to change. 
uh, you were on the FCC, you've seen the dramatic change uh, in technology. That's largely what this is about, right? These are technologies that didn't exist. Uh, the capacity to even perform this metadata collection uh, 50 years ago didn't, didn't exist. And so conceptions of privacy will change as well. Uh, you know, my, my, my son's 25 years old. He has a very different view of what that is. He puts things online that I can't imagine ever typing on my keyboard. Uh, and he's actually pretty good about this. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, the, we, we all have to really think about what privacy means in this new space, uh, how to protect it, how to make sure the data breaches are diminished, all of the things that do present real threats. Uh, I think that there's enormous commercial risk to our privacy, uh, not even necessarily from bad, bad commercial actors, but from uh, threats from abroad. Uh, you, I heard you say that Chairman Rogers was here uh, yesterday. He talks all the time about the fact that there is uh, $100 million worth of American intellectual property stolen each day. Uh, and so these ideas of data security and privacy are real. The threat's enormous. And as we con conceptualize uh, privacy from a national security perspective, I think the solution is providing good sound oversight so that the executive knows what it is the American people have demanded and we can hold him accountable to that. And as we see or will see the growth of the Internet of Everything, uh, privacy uh, will become more complex. Challenges. And you're absolutely right about the reasonable expectation of privacy. That's the, the basis upon which privacy policy flows. And uh, your 25-year-old also <laughs> probably has a, a maybe more stringent view than my 8-year-old, you know, or my 13-year-old daughter. Uh, so uh, as parents, uh, that's what gives me uh, gray hair. But anyway, that's a different uh, subject, a different topic we can have uh, at the Hudson Institute a different day. Um, so... Um, uh, you know, as you mentioned that both uh, folks on the right and the left uh, share a belief that NSA should not have the authority or ability to uh, collect data on uh, any American. Um, and how does that uh, make your job of actually getting the Patriot Act uh, reauthorized more difficult? So the, the nuts and bolts, you know, you said that the Senate's a hard place. You need 60 votes. Um, House, it's, you know, 50 percent plus one vote. Um, and Republicans and Democrats alike are divided on this uh, with some interesting alliances sometimes, right? Uh, so in the Senate, how do you get to 60 votes? I know that's not your chamber, uh, but uh, as a House guy, I figured you might want to give the Senate some advice. Ah, you know, uh, I'm loath to do that. Uh, I, I'm convinced. I, I, think, I think all of us, when we go back home today, um, are in a different place than we were even two or three years ago. Um, I think the threat from ISIS, the uh, attacks on the homeland, the increased notoriety of what's taking place, the networks that are being built here in the United States, this threat from um, what the administration calls uh, homegrown violence, uh, I think is becoming more and more uh, keenly part of the knowledge base of the folks that we represent. And so I think uh, people of goodwill will end up rallying around a good solution for the Patriot Act, and uh, the Senate will find a way to get uh, to get that bill passed as well. I hope that it's done in a way uh, that it maintains enough uh, teeth to allow the uh, intelligence community to perform its function. So we just have about two minutes uh, for one or two questions, but before we do that, is there anything you wanted to add no, or, or retract? I mean, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, retract. I'll have to go look at the videotape, I'm <laughs> sure. Right, go to the transcript. Uh, yeah. uh, so we, uh, at this point, we can open it up to uh, just one or two questions because the congressman does have to get back for votes. So we have a hard uh, departure time here. So... Uh, why don't we try it? We'll start in the way back. 
The gentleman holding up two fingers, and we have a microphone there for you. Perfect. Uh, Henry Hedger, researcher. Now, um, considering all the feedback uh, from overseas nations like France and Germany after it was exposed that we were spying on them, um, and we did not spy on England, so they said, as a result of what they've learned. And I wondered, is there any need to modify the act uh, to restrict them a bit in, in, in doing things that might lead to damage, uh, as spying on Angela Merkel, for instance. Uh, some felt it was unnecessary. So what are your feelings on this? Just stick with it all and, and figure that the NSA will no longer do things that might be considered inappropriate. If, if I can interject before the congressman answers that, which is, you know, as a SEC commissioner, uh, we uh, certainly got briefings about uh, traveling even to our most loyal allies, you know, traveling abroad uh, and changing out our electronic equipment before trips and such. Uh, so that, that happens even uh, at, with our closest of allies uh, on us. Uh, just wanted to add that's out there in the public domain. Um, so, but in any case, if you want to respond, feel free. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say this. It's a, it's a little bit outside the Section 215 issue, right? This is uh, uh, what you're referring to as classic spying uh, that's been taking place since the time of George Washington in America and since uh, Mesopotamia was having great battles. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so I, I'm reluctant to say that there's anything new or original uh, to say about whether or not we ought to spy on folks that are non-U.S. persons, non-U.S. citizens, either folks who are in the states or folks who are American citizens, where these set of constitutional protections apply. There are, however, prudential considerations. And I'll leave to each administration to form the judgments about that, uh, forming agreements with other countries about whether we'll spy and how we'll spy and what the limits on that are. Uh, I guess I'd say, so. and so each administration will make uh, its own prudential judgments about what to do with uh, allies and, and, and how, in fact, to, to handle that. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd say is, uh, and it really refers back to the point made just a moment ago, you should just know in the United States they're spying on you. Yeah. Our, constitu our Constitution is of no importance to the Iranians and the Chinese. Uh, and so it's not, my son would often say to me, well, you know, he started it. And I would tell him that's not enough. Go to your room. Uh, but we should, we should be deeply aware that this is uh, trying to understand uh, the threat from abroad uh, is an important undertaking and one that uh, we uh, need to make sure that we continue to provide all the right resources so that we can do it well. No Bill of Rights in other countries. Uh, so, uh, yes, sir, over there in the yellow tie. I'm Fred Flights for the Center for Security Policy. I'd like to first thank you, Congressman, for standing up for the metadata program, which I think is an important counterterrorism program. The Second Circuit had an interesting criticism of the metadata program because it said most members of Congress were not aware of it and voted for it, although the intelligence committees were aware of it. Now, first, doesn't that seem to suggest the court does not understand how Congress does intelligence oversight? Second, aren't all members allowed to read the intelligence budget before they vote for it? And third, and I might add, I am a former Intelligence Committee staffer, I assume that members of Congress have been allowed to get metadata briefings. How many of the critics of this program have taken advantage of that? Um, so, so there has been this kerfuffle about what they know and when did they know it. <laughs> uh, I, I can say I came here in my first term in 2011, January of 2011, 
I did not serve on the Intelligence Committee in that term, uh, and yet I was aware of this program. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I had a curiosity. There are things you should know. There are things that I do not know about, right? There's, there's sets of policies that I have not spent as much time uh, learning. That's a big world out there. Congressmen have uh, very busy days and very broad set of issues. And so there are things that I, too, am ignorant about. But I would never say that anyone prevented me from knowing that information. It is only my shortcoming that has precluded me from having that information. I just haven't been able to work that hard or find the time to fit it into my schedule. And that's the case here as well. Uh, I, I don't know of any time that a member has asked for information about programs being conducted under these uh, legal authorities that they've been told, no, you, you're not permitted to know that. You are denied access to that information. And indeed, when it comes to budgets where you facilitate these very actions, that is, monies are provided uh, in the uh, federal budget uh, to execute these authorities, um, every member of Congress is not only permitted but invited to come down and look at the, this budget that is, in fact, a classified portion of the budget. And thank you. I see we're right on top of our hard stop. If we could all please give a warm Hudson Institute thank you to Congressman McHale. Thank you. 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 Thank you.